Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! That's what I, I want to be able to think through in our own lives, like what that looks like, what that means. But first, the, the bigger picture of Genesis, right? So we've been in Genesis now several weeks, uh, for two months, and big ideas that have come out of this uh, are, uh, I think, they, they can really foundationally change, not just how we read Genesis, but also how we read Scripture itself. So in Genesis, uh, again, the question that I wanted us to wrestle with in these first three chapters especially is what is God telling us about himself in the creation account, right? Because the one we're introduced to is not the earth first, it's who? Elohim. In the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning creation, but in the beginning, God. So it's not a question of what so much as it is a question of who we're talking about. So the creation account isn't about creation as much as it is about the creator, so that's a, a big thing we want to pull out of this and understand out of the book of Genesis, because when we do that, again, it, it kind of orients the ship in the right direction to understand what's being said, rather than trying to, like, like dice out every single detail. It's like, okay, let me just slow down. That's what we're doing in Genesis time. Like, let me slow down. Let me take a big picture look at what this book is actually saying. So, uh, last week, uh, those are some of the bigger ideas that we talked about, but last week we talked about two ideas that are really important out of Genesis chapter 2. First being Sabbath rest. Like, Sabbath rest is not something most of us understand or even do. But what you see, like, if we trust, that, again, the one that's talking about this, the one that's saying that we need this stuff in the Bible, like, I created everything, I designed you, so I'm going to take a, like an approach like this. I'm going to reorient my life around Sabbath rest because I know that my body and soul were designed for it. Like, I know that I need that. And I know some people that don't rest well. Right? We don't. We're all busy. Especially if you got kids. Rest, I've heard about it, but I've never actually experienced it. Right? That's kind of the phase you're in with children. But, like, outside of that, though, we do create a lot of busyness. And then when we do rest, we don't rest well. Right? We binge. We're on our phones. We watch TV. Right? We watch movies. And, like, we got, like, oh, man, i got to get on my Netflix list. It's like, we don't rest well in front of a screen. Right? So, taking rest is huge, and we need that. The second thing from last Sunday was that sex and marriage are beautifully powerful gifts from God. Now, this is something that, like, we don't like in our culture, but, like, spoiler alert, people have never liked the idea that sex and marriage are narrowly defined. Like, sex, the right and proper place for sex to happen isn't just any way that you want it. It's not on a screen, right? It's between a husband and a wife because there's this complementary design that God gave us in marriage. And it's this beautifully powerful thing, man. And so we really got into that. We talked quite a bit about that. If you want to hear more about that, you can go back and listen last Sunday. But somebody asked a really good question. And I, we did it on our midweek podcast. I answered their question. and said, all right, what if I'm single, though? Or what if I'm divorced? If, if we're designed to fit compatibly together as male and female in marriage, what if I don't have that? Am I somehow less than? Am I somehow lacking? Great question. What I would say to that is, no, that doesn't mean you're lacking. It doesn't mean you're less than. Because you can think of some really ex- uh, great examples from the Bible of people that were completely fulfilled, completely on mission for their life, and yet were not married. 
Probably the most famous one, of course, would be Jesus. I wouldn't think that his life was any less than. I don't think he was hanging there on the cross like, man, this dying for humanity thing is great, but God, I wish I could have gotten married. You know, like there's not that tension in Jesus, right? He's a fully fulfilled human being, but he was never married. He never had a romantic relationship. And so, no, that doesn't mean you're less than. It doesn't mean you're incomplete, but it does mean that's how we are designed, right? But it doesn't mean everybody has to do that. And even the Apostle Paul gets into that, and I shared that in the podcast as well. So you can go and check that out. But today, though, what I want to look at today is just, again, this kind of uh, this deception and disobedience that, and here's what I want you to hear this morning, is that Satan is going to suggest what your heart already wants. Like, when you get attacked, if you've ever been attacked by somebody, you're not just like all super chill about it, are you? You're not like, oh man, I hope I don't get punched in the face. No! If you're getting attacked by somebody, you're going to have a fight or flight experience. If somebody's coming verbally after you, or if somebody attacks you on social media or online, even if it's not in person, right, you're still going to feel those feelings, that, that intensity. But what is happening in Genesis chapter 3 is not a full frontal attack on Adam and Eve. It's just a subtle suggestion. It's a subtle suggestion. And that is what brings people down. It's just subtle suggestion that, like, this is what I want. So, I see it, and I, and I want it, and I'm going to go ahead and take it to hell with the consequences. That's a very human problem that we have. And I see a lot of destruction, again, outside of Christianity and inside of Christianity. I see a lot of Christians who refuse to take this seriously. Like, I don't want to think about sin. I don't want to think about consequences. Jesus loves me this I know because the Bible tells me so. Ergo, I can do whatever I want with my life. I know a lot of Christians who do that and have really, really painful, messy experiences because we refuse to take God seriously on this right here. At the end of the service today, I'm going to give you a bunch of examples from the Bible that we see this see, want, take, path. And I really want you to wrestle this morning. What is your issue? What is your struggle? What is the subtle little thing in your life that Satan would offer you and be like, yeah, what about that? Just watch that. Just say that. Just do that. You know what? I think God's being stingy for not letting you have that. What is it in your life that, like, how much pain, because this is where some of us have to get to, how much pain are you going to let have happen in your life because you won't take this seriously? You won't take sin and consequences seriously. Like, this is where I get. A lot of times when people come into my office for counseling, it's because they've not taken this seriously, and now all of a sudden they're having these consequences and pain and issues. And now it's like, Pastor Kyle, can you help me? And it's like, man, I could have helped you a lot better like five months ago or a year ago that we first started believing this lie and going down this path. Because Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set you free, not to live in slavery to sin and to issues and consequences. Like, that's not what he's about. So we're going to look at that today because the trick that he gets them with is he says, look, 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 you can be like God if you eat this fruit. The problem, though, of course, is they already were like God. Imago Dei, right? The image of God. They were made in the image of God, and they totally missed it, right? But that's the very thing he got them with. Hey, if you eat this fruit, you'll be just like God. And they should have been like, no, no, we already are. We already are, right? And so, but that's the thing. That's the thing that he gets them with. So this morning, again, how much needs to happen in my life before I'll take this seriously? So let's jump in. Uh, if you want to go in your Bibles, look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to be today. And uh, I'll have it up on the screen. I'm in the CSB, by the way, uh, if you're wondering what translation I'm in. I forgot to put it up there. But let's look at this first verse. It's a very interesting verse. Lots of controversy. This whole story, lots of controversy, lots of interest. Chapter 3, verse 1. So now the serpent 
was the most cunning, or in Hebrew, crafty, shrewd, wise, sensible, right? These are other ways of translating that word. So now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. So who is this serpent character, right? This is uh, one of those fascinating questions that you could go in circles and circles and circles with. But the word serpent in Hebrew, let's look at that. So Nahash is the word in Hebrew. The noun serpent can be applied to like dragon and like different things like that as well in Hebrew. But the, the verb, though, loses some of the vowels. I know if you don't read Hebrew, that's what you don't need to. But in Hebrew, you read right to left, and those little things underneath the characters, those are the vowels, right? And so the verb form of this word, serpent, is to practice witchcraft or to seek omens. And I just think there's a very interesting connection between Nahesh, which is the serpent, and then Nihesh, the verb, to practice witchcraft. Essentially, what is witchcraft? Why is it such a big idea? So why am I talking about this? Just because I like to put Hebrew on the screen? No. There's a connection because what is he ultimately getting them with? He's getting them with what does it mean to practice witchcraft or to seek omens? You're trying to sidestep God, right? You're trying to sidestep God, and you're trying to access divine wisdom aside from God. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why God says, look, the stars are nothing more than created things. Don't worship them. Don't look to them. Earth and the elements, they're all just natural things serve natural purposes. Don't look to them for wisdom. Don't worship them. They're just created things. And so, in this, even in the Word, I just wanted to study this Word a little bit to try to get my own head around it, but I just think it's interesting that there's such a tight connection between the word serpent and then what he ultimately is trying to get them to do to sidestep God and get knowledge, wisdom, understanding on their own aside from God. What does that mean? They're trying to define right and wrong. They're trying to define what is good all by themselves without God. Very human issue. Very 2023 issue. We still want to do that in our own lives, right? And then there's the issue of the, the snake talking in general, right? Like, is this an actual snake talking? What's happening here? Is, is this representative of something else? Well, I will say that it is interesting that they don't seem to be surprised that the snake is talking. So for me, that says something about the nature of this snake. Could it be a real snake? Sure. Could it not be? Definitely. It doesn't really matter. Because what's more important, what it is or what it represents or what is actually said? Right? And that's what we're trying to do in this Genesis series. Is like, what's actually going on? Let's not get lost in details. Not that they're unimportant, but what's actually being said? And why does it matter for you today in 2023? Why does it matter with you sitting here? Why does it matter you watching online? What difference does any of this stuff make? Well, what he does is when he steps into this scene, he's going to introduce doubt. He's going to introduce ideas to them that are going to get them to walk away from God. And so, again, the, the serpent, is the, the crux of this is contextually speaking, 3,500 years ago when these words are penned, they were worshipped. Snakes were worshipped in that society, in that world, and had godlike powers. And so what God is first and foremost saying is these are just created things, right? This is something that God created. So what is Genesis 3 about? Genesis 3 is about his creatures, his creations, rebelling. It's about, yes, the serpent. It's about, yes, Adam and Eve rebelling. It's about the goodness of God creating relationship and then creatures rebelling against him. So this, yes, there's something supernatural about this serpent, certainly. And there's not a connection at the time. We have it looking back on the Genesis account. Oh, yeah, that's definitely Satan in the garden. But they didn't know that then. It wouldn't be until later, outside of the New Testament, that they started to really make that connection at all. But here's what the Revelation says. I'm tying Genesis and Revelation together a lot in this series. And here's what Revelation chapter 20 says. 
So the angel seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, right? Satan, the, the accuser, and bound him for a thousand years. So Jesus would also get into this in John chapter 8. He would say, you know, your father is the devil who's been a liar since the beginning. So the New Testament really anchors the identity of the serpent. But at the time, there was some mystery surrounding this. Like, they didn't really understand who or what the serpent was, only that he's going to step into the scene and introduce terrible, terrible ideas that would affect all of mankind. But here's the cool thing, though. When God says this is something that I've created, and these creatures are rebelling against me, there's some people, we have an odd fixation with Satan nowadays and in evil things. Like, there's constantly games and movies, all that kind of stuff right now with it. But what I love about this and what it says about God, right, what does Genesis say about God, is that, yes, God has rebels, but he does not have any rivals. So we don't need to live in fear of Satan. And I know some people really do. But what you're seeing here is that, no, this is just a rebelling creature. All three of these are just rebelling creatures. But at the end of the day, although they're rebels, they are not rivals of mine. So in your own life, do you know that if you're a follower of Christ, the one that's in you, as Scripture says, as First John says, is greater than the one that's in the world? James, half-brother of Jesus, again, to go back to him. If you have Jesus as your Savior, you belong to him, and you can resist the devil, and he will flee from you, right? You don't need to get sucked into sin and consequences that come with that, right? The very thing that we're going to wrestle with this morning. In the next part of the verse, he says to the woman, did God really say, right? They're just kind of like, are you sure? Did God really say that you, and you was plural here, because he's talking about both of them, did he really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Wow. Wow, man, that seems really harsh. God seems pretty stingy. You can't eat from any tree in the garden? And that's what he does. It's not a full frontal attack, just a, a, a subtle suggestion that God is not good. Right? And so he asks this question. He goes after Eve, probably because she's the more vulnerable one, because God said specifically to Adam, don't eat. He didn't say specifically to Eve, it's not recorded at least, but she may be the more vulnerable one. Maybe that's why he went to her and he's speaking with her and Adam's just kind of in the background somewhere. But did God really say that? So he misquotes, and, you know, God didn't say he couldn't eat from any tree, but notice Eve again, she's not pressured, she's not coerced. So, as we read through the story together here this morning, are you like in a position, are you in a place where you're aware of this subtlety in your own life? Right? This, this subtle suggestion that you do need this. You do deserve this. You should do that. Because if they only know, and if they only knew, man, they would understand, right? We kind of convince ourselves with these little things. So, in verse 2, her response. The woman said to the serpent, well, we, again, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, my question, as I read this, and I can't read her mind, obviously, but I'm like, okay, so, did one, did God say that she couldn't touch it? He didn't say that. He just said he couldn't eat of it. So, is she now, like, introducing another layer of, like, you know, God's stinginess or something? Like, what's happening in her heart? Why does she not respond? No, you know what? Actually, we can eat from, like, any tree. Now, we have so much freedom, it's ridiculous. Like, any tree in here, I can eat. Look at the goodness of God. But she doesn't do that. She just, like, she makes it, like, she really narrows it down here, and she removes the freedom, and then adds in, like, another layer of something that they're not allowed to do. And I just wonder, like, is that, like, a, is that something that's happening in her own heart? And here's where the lie is. And I really want you just, like, just to think about this in your own life. In verse 4, this is the response of Satan to her and what 
she said. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. You know, there's not going to be any consequences. Right? The very first thing that be directly challenged in the Bible is God's judgment. And this is like, again, 2023, what does this have to do with my life? There aren't going to be any consequences for what I do. Because sin's not a real thing. It's a construction for religious people to try to keep the people down. And it's coercion. And it's like, is it though? Like, or is there something about our Creator who says, look, I know what is good. Will you just listen to me? Right? Because here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like in 2023. Right? You're not going to ruin your marriage. It's not going to happen. It's just a little flirting. Just a little porn. I'm not going to do anything in your marriage. You'll be fine. Right? You're not going to drown in financial debt because you keep making these same choices because you're buying that thing that you can't buy and now you're going to be 50, 60, 190,000. You know, you're, you're not going to, that's not going to happen. You don't need to worry about that. Frivolous spending is okay. It's the culture we live in. You're not going to lose your job. You're going to forfeit your integrity. Look, you're not going to train wreck your face. None of that, none of that stuff's going to happen to you. Right? You won't start doubting and questioning God because of your own choices, like Proverbs says. Right? I mess up my own bed and then I blame God for how messy it is. Right? Proverbs is wise. Right? And so it's like, what does this look like in your life? The whole, like, there are no consequences thing. You know, like, but again, this is when I meet with people, when I talk with people, when I watch the news, when I just pay attention to life in general. 2023, these things are still important. These things still hold value because the creator of the universe says, look, I know what's good and I know you're going to struggle against it. I know you're going to push back against it because that's a human nature kind of thing. So these aren't just stories. They're fairy tales. They have nothing to do with real life. But no, he says, you don't have to worry about that. Not going to happen. Matter of fact, I bet you nobody even know if you do it. I know if you don't know. Nobody's watching. And you deserve it. At the end of the day, you deserve it because life's been tough. Life's been tough. Just go ahead. It's a small, subtle suggestion from Satan. Right? It's not these full frontal attacks. And then the next nudge in chapter in verse 5. In fact, let me just clarify Satan says. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. You will be like Elohim, knowing good and evil. So you're going to be independent of God finally. You're going to have freedom because here's the lie. God's not good and gracious. God is stingy. God, Adam and Eve, he's just holding you guys back. Think of all the things that you could do in your freedom apart from God. And they're like, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Right? And again, it's just like this introduction of the doubt. And he only has to speak to them twice. And so I got a couple quotes here that I thought were really helpful. Both from the same guy, Kidman. He says, to be as God and to achieve it by outwitting him is an intoxicating idea. To be as God and to achieve it by outwitting him. This is like, man, this is where we are still today. Right? This has not changed. That's what I love about this account in Genesis. It's so real to the actual human story. Right? I mean, it's so real to what we live, if we're honest. And then he goes on a little bit later in the same commentary, this guy Kidman. He says, this whole scenario to Adam and Eve, a suicidal plunge, is presented to them as a leap into life. All these things will I give you, he promises them. And who else did he say later in the New Testament that to? Jesus. So he does it with the first Adam. He does it with the last Adam. He says, look, I'll give you all this if you just believe me. Half-truths. 
right? He's twisting things. He does it to Adam and Eve, and he tried to do it to Jesus. He's quoting scripture, for goodness sake, to Jesus. And he's like, he's just twisting it. And he's saying, look, if you just submit to me, if you just listen to me, I'll give you everything. What's your everything? Right? This is, like, what is your everything? That, like, he's just suddenly promising you that this is going to make you happy. Like, if you could just say no to God on this, now you're going to be free. I watch a lot of people getting in a lot of trouble, really hurting themselves and really having consequences because they believe this. If I could just be free of the restrictions of God, man, I'd be finally, I'd be happy. Right? It's not, it, you're not being put into slavery. You're, you're stepping out of a jail cell, right? When you're like, no, I'm going to embrace the freedom that Jesus gives me. When I walk away from just trying to define everything myself, that's when I can finally embrace the freedom that Jesus Christ offers me. But it takes trust. It's not easy. That's why the calling of Jesus is such a high calling. So then, we have the sea want take in verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good, right? Echoing the creation days here. Her food, and it was delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she wanted it because she was going to obtain wisdom apart from God. So, she took some of this fruit and ate it. And this is like, this is not presented as some like, oh my gosh, kind of thing. Like, this is presented just what it is. It's a subtle sidestep from God. It's a small choice that she made. And so Eve, and this is where it applies, I think, to us, Eve listened to a creature rather than the creator. So you can put some talking head on the news. You can, some YouTuber, some influencer, your neighbor, yourself, right? Again, these are creatures that have rebelled against God. And Jesus listening to one of many that we have plenty in our lives that we can listen to a creature rather than the creator, right? And this is the tension that we live in. This is why I think this stuff is so valuable because what she did is the same thing that we have. Now, at the beginning, here's what I said. When we took communion, what does Jesus say with the bread? Take and eat, right? So here's what I think is cool about how the Bible all ties together and what Jesus was doing and saying. So when he says, look, I want you to take the bread and I want you to eat it, he's reversing something and offering something that happened in this story that we're reading. Because he took and ate and introduced death and sin into the world. Adam did as well. We're going to get to him. Don't worry, guys. You're not off the hook. Right? So, they took and ate something and introduced death into the world. And Jesus says, and now, using the same verbiage, I want you to take and eat something that represents new life. Like, he's picking up on that theme because he's like, look what they did. They ate and they introduced death. I want you to eat because this introduces life. Like Jesus is really trying to say something powerful and important and special and meaningful to us. And I love that he does that. But here's where the guys come in. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So, I've always wondered, like, what was Adam doing? Was he just, like, standing off to the side with his mouth hanging open? Like, why was there no interaction from Adam? Why was he not doing anything? And what did God think about that? And I think it's kind of instructive that when the curse comes, and we'll get to that when we come back to Genesis after the next month, but that his part, like, what you see happen between them is this perfect unity gets totally broken. And God says, there's now going to be tension between the two of you. And rather than doing this together, guys, I'm going to force you to lead. Not because you're better, but maybe because you're stupid, right? Like, I'm going to force you to lead. You have the opportunity, and you did nothing. You did nothing, Adam. I told you specifically not to do that. Where were you? So in all the Old Testament, you see who's, who's forced into leadership. Guys are. 
who's going to go before the temple and the tabernacle, and they're going to have to offer the sacrifice and be spiritually responsible for the families. Guys. Guys have to go and do that. In the New Testament, same thing. You're still spiritually responsible. And what's that look like? It means you should look like Jesus, just like Jesus to your family, guys. That means you're not being a selfish jerk. You're not being impatient. You're not using your strength to abuse the people in your life. That means you're leading like Jesus Christ. And God's calling us to this. And it's not easy. And it goes against everything. And we're seeing in our culture today, guys are still doing this. Guys are going to college less. Guys are in the workforce less. Guys are like fading and becoming irrelevant and like dying inside. Like bad things. Our young men are suffering. And what are we doing to help them? We're just judging them? Oh man, these millennials, they're a bunch of snowflakes. Right? Oh, these Gen Z guys, man. All they want to do is play video games. And it's like, what are you doing to help out with that? Huh? How are you speaking truth into that? Like, how are you leading and setting an example because you believe the Creator gave us something good and how He designed us and how He set us up? Like, how am I being a better person than just attacking other people, right? So, and here's what I want you to see. This is interesting from the New Testament about this little choice here between Adam and Eve. Eve, it says, was deceived in 1 Timothy 2.14. So, she gets labeled as, so she was deceived, right? But Adam, in Romans 5, there's no missing of words here. Adam is the one that's guilty. Sin came into the world through Adam. So that's something that we need to wrestle with, too. It's not just Eve. It's not that women are weaker or anything like that. She was deceived, but he's guilty. So they're both, they both have something they got to own with this decision and how they made a choice, right? And what I think is like, it's heartbreaking about this is how this story ends. The promise of what they think they're going to get and what they actually got. And this is where I want us to like come home with this. Like, are we going to convince ourselves that what we're getting is actually freedom when it's actually a plunge into suicide, as Tigner said? So verse 7 is how the story ends. It's when everything is shattered. The beauty of Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, is shattered. So then the eyes of both of them were open. They get what they want, and they knew that they were naked. And it's like, well, that's not too bad, I guess. But... So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So shame enters the picture. They try to cover themselves up with a sacrifice. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But they have to try to figure out a way to do something about this. God is going to have to do something about this, which is beautiful what he does, and then how the story comes full circle with Jesus. But right here, Genesis 2.25 gets shattered. The last verse of chapter 2, both the man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. There was this perfect harmony that was shattered because they believed in a lie that usurping God's wisdom and authority was somehow going to bless them and make them more whole. It's the same thing we get roped into today. The same thing that we get roped into today. So here's what I just want to end this. is just having you think about the see, want, take, like that, that little path in your own life. This is what I see. This is what I want. And I'm going to do it. Again, hell to hell with the consequences. This is what I'm going to do. Like, I want you to take some stock. Like, how bad does it need to get? How much damage do you need to do before you start taking sin seriously? Before you stop trying to act like there's no consequences? Like, that I'm going to trust the Creator. I'm going to trust Jesus and say, you know what? I'm going I'm to be all in on how He designed us and what He says. Again, half-brother Jesus. Let's end where we started. James chapter 1. Temptation in your life today, 2023, is going to come from your own desires. You're going to be tempted by what you want. And that's going to entice you. And then, if you're not careful, it's going to drag you away because then you're going to start doing stuff. You're going to act on them because those desires are going to give birth to action. And when sin's allowed to grow, it's going to give birth to death. And that can look like a lot of different things in your life. 
And this is where this is where I think we lose our understanding. God just wants to hold us back. He's so restrictive. You know, blah, 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 blah. It's like, or your life's a disaster in maybe three different areas or maybe one area because you refuse to listen to this, right? Like, things are falling apart in our society. Like, you're seeing, like, just, it's like we're, like, becoming unmoored from one another and from, like, what's right and wrong and, like, nobody knows and we're just out there fighting in political circles about it. And it's like, we've just kind of lost our sense of, like, where are we anymore? And it's affecting younger people, especially as we go. Each generation that comes up comes into more confusion. And it's like, all right, can we trust God? And here's my challenge for you if you're a follower of Jesus today. Is are you going to go out there and you're going to try to hate people to Jesus? Or are you going to try to love people through Jesus? Right? This is hard to do. This is really hard to do. And I want you to understand this pattern is in your own life as well, not just in other people's lives. And I want to give you a little bit of homework, too. If you want to know more and see more about this, see what takes thing in the Bible, here's just some places you can go, right? The Nephilim, Genesis chapter 6. Tim has the pleasure of preaching on the Nephilim, so good luck to Tim when he preaches on that, because that, it's kind of a tough one. Uh, he asked for about a year, uh, his first year here, he joked, whatever my first sermon is, please don't make me preach on the Nephilim. And then the way that it works out scheduling-wise, he has to preach on the Nephilim, so sorry, Tim. But... And then Achan, and the fallout in Achan's life, right? It affected his whole family. He saw it, he wanted, he took it. King David, his famous story in 2 Samuel 11, he saw Bathsheba, he wanted her, he took it. David's life is up until the right, up until this point in his life. After this, it's a train wreck of a mess after this. Because he believed that he could see it, want it, and take it. And everything falls apart after that in his life. And then Solomon, you know, going after the, the foreign wives and all their gods and, like, you know, what that did to him. And then, kind of going through the Bible, next you have Ahab. He saw Nabal's vineyard, won it, took it. Massive fallout for Ahab and his family. Gehazi. Not many people know Gehazi, but they know the story, uh, kind of, that he's a part of. So you have the, uh, the leprosy that is going to be miraculously healed in this commander, and he is going to be set free from that. Gehazi overhears, the, the commander says, hey, to the prophet, I want to give you this, this, and this to say thanks. And the prophet's like, no, man, I don't want your stuff. I'm just here to do the work of God. So as he's leaving, Gehazi goes running out, and he's like, oh, actually, you know what? Uh, he does want it. He wants, uh, yeah, he wants it off. So just go ahead and give it to me. Massive fallout for Gehazi uh, for his choice to do that. He wants take. Ananias and Sapphira. They did not want something. They wanted renown. They wanted people to know them as being generous people. Right? So they saw what was happening in the early church. Massive amounts of generosity and love being poured out. And people are starting to notice this. Ananias and Sapphira, they want, to, they want people to see them as well. And they want to be known as these really generous people. So they make a mistake. And there's massive fallout because of it. And then lastly, to close, here's where we land. Following Jesus is never meant to be easy. It's never meant to be easy. It was meant to be what? Best. Like, that's what we see presented, and that's a difficult road for us to walk. It's not easy, but it's absolutely meant to be best. And that's the tension that you're going to feel when it comes to following Jesus. That, right there, is the tension that you're going to feel. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity that we get just about life and how this stuff applies to us, Jesus. I just ask you to help us to take these things seriously, Lord. Would you help us to see this stuff in our own life? God, would you help us to like, really get and understand and own that it's for freedom that you set us free. I pray, Lord, there's just going to be a wisdom that we have that comes from you on this, this stuff in our life, Lord. 
Help us to be serious about it. Help us to be harder on ourselves when it comes to sin and just the choices that we're making, little by little by little. That would you be with us, Lord. Help us to be like you. And that's tough. That's a high calling, Lord. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. We love you here. Great seeing you this week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.